Tov, a blessed week to everyone. I'm so excited to see you all as we are working together to infuse kindness more deeply into our lives. The power of seeing others, of seeing them and seeing what they need. Of course, compassion starts within ourselves first. Some argue and we take care of ourselves and we feel self-love and we're more gentle with ourselves. And from there, it flows out towards family, towards friends, towards strangers towards community. And today, today's theme is Hidur Penezakin, respecting um, the elderly. Now, elderly is a, a kind of relative term in terms of what is an elder and how that shifts. In some societies, it may be someone in their 40s. In some, it might be some in their 90s. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of different, different experiences with that. Let's start with a poll. As always, let's start with a poll. We should honor the elderly because option one, they're wiser than youth. Option two, they're more vulnerable than the youth. Option three, both. Option four, neither. We should honor everyone equally, young and old. Let's see what you think about that. These are already loaded words. The notion of honor, the notion of elder, vulnerable. Okay, let's see our results here. I bet everyone's got has voted by now. Okay, no one said they're wiser than youth, although that's kind of implied later. 14% they're more vulnerable than youth. 57% say both. And 29% say neither. We should honor everyone equally, young and old. Okay, very interesting. Okay, so friends, here we go. In an age where youth is so deeply celebrated, it can be so easy to forget our traditional Jewish teachings regarding respecting the elderly. The Torah wants us to build a just society around our elders. Here's Numbers 11. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of Israel's elders of whom you recognize as elders and officers of the people and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their place with you. So it doesn't say go find the 70 of the smartest people you can find, nor does it say find 70 young, um, really quick thinking scholars. Find me 70 elders and officers. Of course, we also have the mitzvah of honoring our father and mother. We already went through all that. 
which is deeply connecting, connected to honoring elders as well. While this value can be found in countless places in the Torah's narrative, the most explicit command in the Torah is from Leviticus, from Vayikra, rise up before the gray-headed. That's kind of interesting, gray-headed. What if someone is 70 and still has um, their original hair color? What if someone is 35 and already dyeing their hair? Rise up before the gray-headed and show respect before an elder. Be fearful of your God. I am Hashem. So very interesting, this notion of, of um, connecting this idea of, of having awe for God connected to rise for the elder. This, this notion that God is um, represented among the elders. The Talmud teaches here in Kiddushin, the rabbis taught... rise up before the presence of the elderly. Could this even be for a zakain ashmai? Ah, good phrase to know. You probably didn't learn this in Sunday school. A zakain ashmai, an ignorant older person. Good thing they didn't teach that to the Sunday school students. Uh, <laughs> the Torah says elder, and there is no elder other than a wise person. As it says, Gather for me 70 men. Ah, interesting that they don't include women. Um, that's ob obviously uh, makes sense in that time period. But elderly women um, would also be assumed to have be applied to this notion of honor and would be thought of as having wisdom. They just, of course, in all societies at that time were less public figures. Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel. Rabbi Yossi HaGalili said, there is no elder except for one who has acquired wisdom. Ah, so what does it mean by elder? A wise elder. As it says, God made me as the beginning of God's way, the first of the divine works of old. Okay, so does this mitzvah perhaps apply to a wicked elderly person as well? Regarding the terms, in the above passage, Rashi comments, that this refers to an evil and or ignorant person. Ah, he says, elder is elder. I don't care what their virtues are. Rabbeinu Tam, however, disagrees and suggests that it refers only to one who is ignorant, but not one who is wicked. Okay, so if you're a foolish old person, you should still be honored. But if you're a wicked old person, it's interesting that they don't assume that ignorant means wicked, right? You might be ignorant, but still be virtuous, kind of a simpleton, um, or um, you may be wicked and smart, of course. Um, so now just a reminder that Rabbeinu Tam are the um, relatives, the, the descendants of Rashi. So Rashi has... Tosfot, his grandkids, and then Rabbeinu Tam is a part of the Tosfot in the Talmud. So these are, it's interesting that, that disagreement in Jewish discourses, of course, not only between rabbis, but also between family of rabbis. You don't just assume someone's going to defend their grandparents' kind of ideological camp. They argue even within their own family, um, and that's recorded. The Shulchan Aruch supports honoring the ignorant elderly person but also rejects honoring the evil elderly person. It says here, it is a positive mitzvah to stand before every wise person 
even if he, they are not old, unless they, they are still nursing. And even if he is not his teacher, as long as the sage is greater than them, it is appropriate for them to learn from them. It is also a mitzvah to stand before somebody in their old age who is at least 70 years old. 70 was the age in the Talmudic era. Even if they are an ignoramus, as long as they are not an evil person. Okay, so that's, there's a lot to unpack there. How do we conflate ignoramus, ignoramus and evil person? Let's say, take, some, take the political camp that you view to be like the most wicked political camp, the people who believe X, Y, or Z. Like, let's not even make it partisan. Let's just make it like a certain political belief, like this political belief, that's the most wicked political belief. Do you view that as like a wicked person who believes that? An ignoramus who doesn't understand? When is it kind of conflated? Um, so too, like what kinds of crimes do we view to be kind of an, uh, a crime of an ignoramus versus the crime of the wicked? Okay, a young person may for, unfortunately come to disrespect an elder with dementia or even with some basic memory loss. Those who care for the elderly with memory loss, be they children caring for their parents or professional caregivers, are aware of just how easy it is to lose patience with such a person. The Talmud cautions us against that. It says in Brachot, be mindful of the elderly person who has forgotten their teachings for reasons that are not their fault. As it says in the Torah, that the broken tablets rested with the newer tablets in the ark. How interesting is that? So as you remember, Moshe smashes the first tablets after the golden calf and then goes back up and gets new tablets, the luchot. And they, they connect that to a person with dementia. Just as in the ark, when the Israelites were traveling forward into battle, they didn't throw away or bury those old tablets. They said, Bring the broken tablets in the ark with the new tablets. What a profound lesson. So too, they learned from that a humanistic teaching that um, a person with dementia is like broken tablets. They're not to be disrespected or disregarded or shut away. They are to be kept in the holy ark alongside um, the newest and most flashy and fresh of your um prized, celebrated people. The assumption of the Torah seems to be that all elders will have wisdom to offer, perhaps. It says here in Deuteronomy, remember the days long gone by, ponder the years of each generation, ask your father and let him tell you, and your elder who will explain it. Furthermore, the book of Job teaches with age comes wisdom, and with length of days brings understanding. It's almost assumed, ah, I've experienced a whole lot, right? Of course, one can be young and wise, and one can be old and foolish. But the assumption is that the more life we've seen and the more experience we have, the more wise a perspective we've been able to accumulate. But this wisdom of the elderly is not simple. Does it mean that they have the wisdom to be optimistic or to be pessimistic? Cynical or hopeful? Ideological or pragmatic? More progressive or more conservative? Different elders 
will have such different viewpoints and there will therefore be little consistency to the wisdom offered. For this reason, it is important to glean wisdom from as many elderly people as possible, not limited to, for example, one's parents or teachers. A different approach as to why we must honor the elderly might not be about their wisdom, but about how much they have gone through in life. It says here in Kiddushin in the Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan would stand before the elderly Arameans and say, oh, how many troubles and experiences have passed over them? He's not saying, oh, this, um, this Gentile elderly person, they must be so wise. He's saying, oh, they've experienced so much. How many backaches? How many knee replacements back in Babylonia? <laughs> um, how much, how many headaches, right? How many crying children in their care, right? How many lawsuits, right? One might honor the elderly, not out of admiration, but out of pity, sympathy, or empathy based on their past and perhaps current situation. There's a very powerful teaching in Pirkei Avot about learning and aging. It starts with Rav Alicia Benavuya. Just to remind you who he is, if you haven't read the book um, As a Driven Leaf, I recommend it. He is what they call Acher. He is the first atheist in Jewish tradition. The first recorded atheist, we should say. Um, and he is the quintessential heretic of the Talmud. And so they call him Acher, which means the other one. Here's what it says in Pirkei Avot. Alicia Benavuya said, one who studies Torah as a child, to what can he be likened? To ink writ written on fresh paper. And one who studies Torah as an older person, to what can they be likened? To ink written on smudged paper. Rabbi Yosei Bar Yehuda of Kafar Babli says, one who learns from the young, to what can they be likened? to one who eats unripe grapes or drinks unfermented wine from a vat. But one who leans, learns Torah from the old, to what can they be likened? To one who eats ripe, ripe grapes or drinks aged wine. Rabbi says, do not look at the vessel, but what is in it? There is a new vessel filled with old wine and an old vessel that does not even contain new wine. Of course, when I shared this with my nine-year-old, she said that that's, the, that's what everyone says. Don't judge a book by its cover. Right? You don't know from the bottle of wine um, what's inside. Now, interesting, if you look at Elisha Benabuya, he is someone who thinks he cannot repent. He cannot change his ways. Of course, the Jewish tradition teaches that everyone can do teshuva. Everyone can engage in radical transformation, regardless of who they are. No one is to be discarded. This is an important thing to think about criminal in criminal justice system. Do we really think someone is irreparable, uh, irredeemable, that someone cannot learn or change or grow regardless of what they have done? Jewish tradition says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so Alicia Benavides says, ah, the young ones, they're, they're like ink on a fresh paper. You can teach them. There's no like misinformation to correct really. But the old one, what are they like trying to write on a smudge paper? Ah, but friends, do we have any music scholars here? I forgot if it's Beethoven or Mozart. One of them, Beethoven and Mozart, how would they create music? They would write, so to speak, in ink. They would write 
and um, never correct it. They'd get it right on the first try. The other one, they would go, they would write and correct, write and correct, constantly correcting. So who was more brilliant? The one who um, just kind of first try creates their masterpiece or the one who works, what's that? That was Mozart and he has some really bad stuff too. He has some brilliant stuff, but he has some really bad stuff too. So I gotta go with Beethoven there. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. And also there's a humility to that smudged paper. Somebody who writes with a pen is like, I got this. I got my novel down. I got my letter down. Like, I don't need to correct anything. Writing with a pencil and eraser is like, nope. Actually, the humility to correct things, to correct things. So a smudge paper might sound like, ooh, an old person with all these smudges, right? Or it may sound like a humble paper that has gone through levels of manuscripts, levels of editing, levels of erasing. Alicia Benabuya can't see that. He thinks, I can't change my ways. So there's also an entirely different reason to learn from the elderly. The Talmud teaches here, over here in Shabbat, Rav Zeira said in the name of Rabbi Bar Zimuna, if the earlier scholars were sons of angels, we are sons of men. And if the earlier scholars were sons of men, we are like donkeys. Right? So in the other words, each generation is less knowledgeable than the previous one, so they thought. While this teaching may seem counterintuitive and in many ways is not applicable, it is in fact of great value. After all, previous generations are closer to the original source of their teachings and or historical events. Children of a Holocaust survivor, for example, may have heard a firsthand account of their parents' experience. By the way, we're, we're right at um, Ellie Wiesel's yard site and thinking about something he said. What did he say? I mean, he said so many profound things. But he said, um, uh, uh, oh man, I'm not going to get it right. Something like a witness of a witness. No, no, sorry, here it is. One who has listened to a witness is now a witness. Right? One who has listened to a witness is now a witness. And it sounds like a simple idea, but essentially like if you heard the stories from a, a survivor, you are now um, a witness of, of the Shoah, right? And, um, or think also in, um, think about, think about an, uh, an elderly black person in America and what they heard about slavery um, as opposed to kind of what a young black person in America has heard, right? It's a few levels removed Now, it may be that there's better scholarship to read today, but the stories that they heard from their own grandparents, think about, right, the child of a survivor as opposed to the grandchild of a survivor. And so um, children of a Holocaust survivor, for example, may have heard a firsthand account of their parents' experience. The next generation, when hearing about it from their parents, by definition, must rely on a secondhand account. And the next generation on a thirdhand account. This, of course, applies to learning about one's own family history as well. My children, for example, will by definition know less about their grandparents than I do, simply because I'm one generation closer to them. Think about Yitziat Mitzrayim, leaving of Egypt. We want the parents to tell their children about the experience of leaving Egypt. We want to keep it fresh, but even one generation away from Egypt, they had already kind of forgotten. 
We must make the best of every opportunity to learn from those of one generation while we still have the chance to do so. In the end, the Midrash teaches that by welcoming and thereby honoring the elderly, it is as if we are encountering the divine, it says in the Midrash. And God, God's self models honoring the elderly in the Torah. It says here in Genesis, Avraham was now old, advanced in years, and God blessed Avraham with all things, right? It connects God blessing Avraham to him being advanced in years. So moving towards a conclusion here, and yet many elders feel forsaken. Perhaps they don't have the financial security they had hoped for, right? I just read this article yesterday about how um, few people when they were 20, in their 20s or 30s or 40s started saving for retirement accounted for the levels of inflation to be expected, not to mention just recent months. Perhaps they also never had children or their, or their children had not been there for them in ways they had hoped or weren't financially secure themselves. Indeed, King David, in his own fear that humans would forsake him, felt he might turn to God. Do not cast me off in old age. When my strength fails, do not forsake me. Yes, we can display little acts of kindness to the elderly. We can help them across the street, rise in their presence to support them, open doors for them. But we can also build vibrant communities that don't just show honor, but actually engage and recognize seniors in ways that are deeply meaningful to them. There's many societies where it is built into the culture, even required by the law that the elderly are respected. In Israel, for example, it is a law that individuals over the age of 80 need not wait in line for any services, governmental or otherwise. Similarly, one is required to give up their seat on the bus for the elderly in Israel. There are also several retirement communities where the residents themselves lead clubs, teach classes, participate in synagogue services. The last decades of one's life should not be isolating, but joyful. And each of us can play our part in helping to make that happen. Okay, friends, that's all I got. I would love to hear from you about this topic. Eileen, and thanks for joining us. I think you're on the road, as I can tell from your background and from memory. So uh, good. Who wants, to, who wants to share with us today? Hi, Toby. Go ahead. Oh, you're on, you're on mute still. Let's see. There we go. Yay. Yeah. Well, speaking for an old person, because I am legally old, uh, chronologically old, although I don't particularly feel old and I don't act old. But the bottom line, I think in, in America, at least, and I don't mean to generalize because I don't think it's necessarily accurate, but I think there's a lot less respect for even, even one's own parents in America than there may be in other places, um, Israel certainly, but um, I've, been, I've been to a lot of places. I, I love to travel. And so consequently I've seen examples in Turkey and in Thailand and in India and India especially where the respect for the, and not just respect in that they don't be rude to them, but the, the care for people who are advanced in age or in other ways vulnerable, because it's not just 
advanced in age, but since that's what we're talking about today, yeah. is it appears to be a good deal greater. Um, I'm not sure why that is, and it may be, it may be uh, you know, upper middle class white folk. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. So yeah, I'd love to hear from folks on this. And just one thought I wanna share, because with every kind of negative phenomenon, there's oftentimes a positive dimension as well. We are so young people today. I mean, I'm gonna give a blanket statement, which of course is not universally true, but the, it, we, we live in a therapy culture. For better or worse, we live in a therapy culture and people look for support. And one of the common ideas in therapy culture is we should remove toxic things from our life, right? Sound familiar, right? If you have somebody or something toxic in your life, get out of it, get out of the job, get out of the relationship, only positivity, no nothing toxic. And for some people, they apply that to family as well. Ah, oh, my mother, she's toxic. Why, why should I spend any time with my mother, right? She's toxic, right? And my therapist said, get rid of toxicity. Right. And so we have this kind of pure purity approach. It's the same with politics, like a, a kind of a purity approach. And so um, from a, a mental health standpoint, of course, get, a, get rid of everything toxic, like surround yourself with good things. And from a moral responsibility approach, the question remains like, huh, do I have a responsibility to someone who doesn't make me feel good? Right. Yes, I understand. It might be me. It might be them. Like maybe they're toxic. Maybe it's I experience them as toxic. Maybe it's my baggage. Maybe it's their baggage. I don't know. But like, should I, and there's a growing sense that like, I'm just going to abandon the relationships that don't feel good to me, right? Because why would I stay in a marriage? It doesn't feel good. Why would I, why would I visit my parents if they don't make me feel good? So this is obviously loaded for many of us. And obviously I'm distinguishing toxic from abusive. Those are, those, those are different, an abusive relationship versus a toxic one. And so I want to say like, it's a positive thing of mental health that we should remove toxic things from our life. And yet like, it, I, I just raising the question without answering it. Like, is there ever a moral responsibility to be in a toxic relationship with an elder, for example? Yes, Aglaia. Okay, sorry, I'm gonna preface this with sorry if I get emotional, okay? But um, okay. it's it's a complicated thing. Um, uh, I, only a few people, I'm not exactly sure why I feel compelled to talk about this because only a few people um, in the world actually know about this, so, but, um, um, we're talking about um, generations being removed from important historical events and stuff like that. Okay, so my father was actually, Rice University back a long time ago when it was founded, was um, founded you know, by William Marsh Rice, and he stipulated in his will that Rice had to be segregated for forever, basically. In 1964, though, that had to go away because of, you know, like Lyndon B. Johnson and the Civil Rights Act and everything. Um, my father, um, when he decided to go to Rice University, um, not one student of color had ever graduated wow. from Rice. And it was, you know, it was, but he never told that story the right way because, well, we're talking about toxic parents and abusive parents and everything like that, though. So, um, yeah, it was, it was like that. Well, when he died, um, when he died, I had, um, you know, there were arguments about what to do with his stuff and everything. And I, being a teacher, you know, said we have to save his class ring from Rice because that was the last, that was the thing that actually mattered most to him in the world, that he was a Rice University graduate. And 
I couldn't figure out what to do with the ring though, but dad and I had been like estranged for over 20 years when he died and he died very suddenly and everything, which is kind of a weird thing though. But um, I eventually figured out what to do with the ring. Um, there was a student in Houston, from Houston, where my dad was from, who actually was standing up to climate change. He was going to dedicate his life to climate change no, and saving, you know, basically he's going out there to save the world, which I was like, oh God, kid, <laughs> you don't know what's coming to you. But anyway, um, it was because I saw in him the, you know, the, what it takes for someone to go to, to integrate a school. I saw in this young man, that kind that same kind of spirit. So I said, okay, I'm not gonna keep my father's class ring besides the fact that I didn't pop any out and pop any children out of my own though, but um, I'm gonna give it to him. Now, I thought at first, so what my dad would probably die if he knew I gave that class ring to a blonde haired, blue eyed, white guy. But <laughs> that's another story and a half though. But um, it was for me though, because um, I couldn't get along. I never could get along with my father though, but that was the only way that I could think of to, you know, be, I guess, honor, honor father, you know, you know, it was not until after he died. Take it, um, he was diagnosed with cancer and he died six days later. So I didn't even have time to like process that he was dying. So anyway, but it was the only way that I could think of. So I don't know if it's relevant to talk about honoring um, when we're talking about, okay, can you actually have contact with this parent because they were abusive? Well, in that case, I couldn't. But um, there are all of the different um, kinds of ways that you can find to honor um, your elders and everything. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. I'm not even going to unpack what you said because it's so personal and deep and I appreciate you sharing that with us um, and just, you know, um, appreciate it and amplifying these important questions that you're sharing um, and just noting just this uh, kind of courage and meaningful idea of how with an abusive parent, sometimes honoring after their life can be a lot easier than honoring in their life. Um, not that we have any obligation to honor someone who's abusive, of course. Um, so, um, and what a powerful example also of just um, kind of both kind of uh, how, you know, he was, you know, a struggler as someone who got through that university and is kind of, you know, inspiring and also, um, you know, had his own things to work through. So, um, and that's one of the interesting things here we're looking at with elders also is that it's very easy for young people who are more kind of woke, so to speak, to look at elders and be like, these people are backwards. Like, look, like, look at the general, like, look what they did for decades. Like they destroyed our environment. They destroyed democracy. Like they did all these things. And um, I'm supposed still to honor doing people. It. Like, what's that? What Sorry, that? they're still doing it. I had to throw that out there. Still doing it. I mean, I'm not going to get into just the decision of a few days ago right now, you know? Please don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know? We'll be here all night if I start talking. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, um, there's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to elder that. I don't want to honor that generation. They like destroyed my earth and like my society. And, um, uh, and so this is complicated for some people, you know, there's kind of a disdain between generations. And then you hear some, some people in the other generation talking like these young people, they're all me generation. They're all selfish and care about themselves. There's almost like a hostility in American society across generations um, around how each is experienced, you know? So uh, yeah, so Matthew, so thanks for joining us. Okay, so who else can we hear from? Thanks, Aglaia, for sharing. 
Yehuda, you want to jump in, or Eric? Yehuda and Eric? Francine, if you want. Eddie? Okay, did I make everybody emotional? Because if I did, I'm really sorry. Okay, I, I want to follow up. Oh, on no, you didn't. It's fine. Um, Hi, Toby. Hi. Um, you, you brought up something that, that's very close to me. My best friend, who is also old, uh, her mother um, was sick. And unfortunately, she never had a good relationship with the mother. It, they, they, it wasn't that she was abusive. She was verbally abusive and, and very destructive but not physically abusive, and uh, uh, but it made it very difficult. Anyway, my friend is an only child and had to care for her mother um, during her last days, which lasted two or three years. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't a quick thing, unfortunately. But her mother, every time she went to visit, her mother was critical and would call, you know, just create all kinds of bad feelings. Uh, in my friend and tell her how inconsequential her work was and how, you know, it just was repeatedly destructive in that way. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing, and this, this was not uncommon. This was, a, you know, we'd call her at 1030 saying, I need more diapers. Well, 1030 at night, you know, what are you going to do? How about I get them in the morning, mom? You know, anyway. Um, and I would ask her, you know, Paula, dude, why, you know, why do you feel it necessary to go visit her three times a day, you know? And her answer to me, I thought was very enlightening because what she said was, I don't want to look back on this after she's gone and feel like I should have done more or I, I, I wasn't a good daughter. Yeah. And I have to do whatever I have to do in order that I don't feel that. And I thought, I thought that was very, um, well, it was very enlightening to me. And maybe there are other people who feel that way in a way, you may be one of those. Uh, I'm on the fence um, about it though. Actually, I was on the fence about the poll when um, we first started though. I, cause I didn't know exactly because, well, when, and just in my experiences, I, cause I'm a community college, so I teach from 16, 15, 16, all the way up. I think the oldest student I had was in his 60s. Like, but one thing that I did notice um, is that there's an there's, you know, back and forth between the older people and the younger people. That really just helps, I think, everyone. That's one of the reasons why I appreciate the diversity of community colleges, because it's also age diversity. And you know, older students have a lot, they have a lot of things to tell younger students that even I can't tell them. And, you know, vice versa, there is a lot. Now, I, when I was growing up though, um, also, I was a horrible child, an awful little kid. And when it, in, well, where I am, you're supposed to say yes, ma'am, to the little old lady. And if the little old lady is dead wrong, you still say yes, ma'am. And you do not talk back to the little old lady. Um, I didn't start learning that lesson until I got the living daylights beaten out of me enough times. <laughs> okay. I'm just being honest. Okay. Like I wasn't going to though, but um, there is a certain um, way that elder, you know, elders can also show like, look, you can respect me because you can trust me too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it took until I was in college for anyone to get any compliance out of me. <laughs> but I 
told you I was horrible. I, I was a horrible child, so. Um, thank you. Rabbi, uh, just jumping in here, something that's really coming to mind, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is the idea of dialogue when um, we're, we're looked upon to honor and respect our elders. Um, but when thinking about our elders holding on to ideas that are way past aged and, and elders holding on to, well, in my time, this was acceptable, you know, I'm thinking back to, to like racism and ideas that are held by that or ignorant thoughts. And then the common thing is, well, we have to let it slide by because they're older and we, we just have to let it okay. So it, it almost becomes like a scapegoat that some folks are able to be mean and are able to hold on to maybe um, ignorant ideology because of their age. I wonder what your thoughts on are on how do we approach dialogue to be able to not only honor, come from a place of love and honor our elders, but also uh, hold them accountable for, for their actions? Um, what a great question, um, Eddie. Thanks for flagging that. And I think that plays right into what we were talking about, about how these kind of different generations view each other. And I think that I, I, I bet there's not a generation in the history of the world that didn't think their grandparents' generation was backwards, right? Um, in terms of things they did, things they thought. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak to ancient societies. Maybe it was so slow changing that th that, that wasn't going on. Um, I can't speak to that, but in modernity, let's just speak about modernity, most certainly um, that was always the case. Um, and, um, uh, and, and it's so interesting to look back at that phenomena. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that um, that going back, I guess, Aglaia, we're going back to our um, our 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 relativism. Um, I do think that we can be more gentle with people who emerge from a different culture or of a different generation. Um, um, but what does that mean? Like, if 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 a, if an eighty-year-old man sexually harasses a woman in the workplace, it should be held accountable just as much as if a 20 year old man does it, right? Like that accountability is real. Um, and so where does it change? Because when it comes to actually harming others directly where there's legal accountability, there ought to be. Now, it's true, Toby can speak about this better than me. There might be some mitigating factors around age. I'm not sure if there are or not around, you know, what somebody thinks is morally acceptable based on their age. Um, but, um, but when it comes to kind of social norms, yeah, I mean, if if like if, if I met a 25 year old who said something racist, I'd experience something very different than if I met an 80 year old. Not that I would like laugh at the 80 year old, I wouldn't like embrace it, but I don't know that I shut the 80 year old down like um, in the same way that I would a 25 year old. And that's kind of interesting to unpack. Um, just like, just like an anti-Semite, an anti an 80-year-old anti-Semite, a 25-year-old anti-Semite, an 80-year-old anti-Semite, you're like, all right, they're probably not going to cause any harm. They're just kind of like, they're kind of old school. I wish this person didn't hate Jews, you know? And you meet a 25-year-old, like, I don't know what this person's going to do. Like this, you know, but I'm curious if other people experience it differently. So I, I do think this whole notion of calling people in versus calling them out, like maybe there is calling more people in when they're on the older side. Um, if they're in our family, maybe it's a little bit different. In our family, maybe we have a higher responsibility to kind of have the conversation, um, you know? Um, and so um, that's not easy. So but I'm curious if anyone else wants to jump in on that. I, I, I appreciate this question that Eddie's flagging here. Yes. Okay. 
It's not just older people who do that, though, because I've actually had some like 19 year olds who, but they were raised by the 80 year olds who told them like uh, this coming to mind is this this poor kid okay I felt so sorry for him but anyway um, he was he had been taught all of his life gays are horrible people and he was told like actually you got to vote for that person who considered himself president you have to vote for him because that's what the bible would tell you to do and everything um just the thing that worked with him for me um was that I didn't say much to him at all. And it's kind of like that, I think, um, with also, I would do the same thing with someone who's in their 60s. I didn't say much. I just asked, just asked a few questions and let them do the talking. Um, I, it worked. <laughs> I mean, this 19-year-old ended up leaving my class and he was friends with the young gay man who was, you know, like sitting across from him. And, you know, there was a lot of dialogue that ended up happening because of that, though. But when he was telling me this, I just sat and talked and then I would ask him a question. And then he left my office saying that he was more confused than he had been before he walked into before he talked to me, but he felt a lot better. So maybe sometimes just listening is what mm -hmm. they need. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder, um, thank you, on, 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 a, on a slightly different note, and then we're gonna, uh, Yehuda, I know you were going to jump in in a second. So I, I wonder, like, um, do we still value chivalry? For example, it, it, um, uh, does the, does a woman want a man and, and woman to walk in the door at the same time? Like that's equality, um, or does a, does does the average American woman of any generation expect kind of a door be held for her? And so too, like it, when a man rushes into the door before a woman, is that considered like experience similarly to a ninety-year-old, where a twenty-year-old kind of runs through the door and kind of doesn't hold the door for them? Right, psychologically, like how today in a woman does a woman in America experience kind of a door being held differently than 30 years ago? And how does a nine-year-old experience a door being held differently? Right. And kind of like, how do we, when are these gestures offensive? Like take somebody with disabilities, if you hold the door, someone, you know, if you help offer someone with disabilities help across the street, they're like, no, I'm just fine. This is my life. Right. Um, versus someone who's very appreciative. Like, how do we think about the psychological dynamics of kind of helping people in the street, holding doors. Um, when is that kindness kind of expected? When is that kindness uh, purely experienced as kindness? When is it offensive? You know, I know some older folks that they're kind of offended if you offer them some help. They're like, what do I look so old? I need to have some help, you know? So it's kind of interesting to kind of think about that. Yeah, Yehuda, you were gonna jump in. Let's hear from, from you. Oh gosh. I, I I don't know if I can keep track of everything in this conversation. Yeah, my on. goodness. So, so first of all, I think this topic touches so much on on what we see going on in society, the the lack of empathy and the lack of consideration for others and the lack of uh, cohesion that we see, the lack of respect for for um, the people around us. And and because older people are more vulnerable, it, it's much more noticeable in those examples. So, so I just wanted to add that comment. Now, I, I grew up in an abusive home and, and it really caused a lot of problems in my relationships with my parents uh, throughout my life. I had to work really, really hard uh, to get past all of that. And one of the things was at one point, 
I realized that my mother had had a very hard life in the sense of, of disappointments. Her, I, I think that uh, her divorce from my father broke her heart. I don't know what happened in her childhood, but she had a lot of anger that she was dealing with. And it took me a long time, well into my adulthood, to realize that she was dealing with a lot of stuff and she just didn't know how to like express it, deal with it. And, and, and that was part of what affected our relationship. And when I finally, when that registered for me, it was a huge shift for me to be able to and to, to have forgiveness for her. So, and when I was able to do that, I was able to, uh, get closer and to put aside a lot. And it was, it was very healing. Uh, so, so we were able for the second half of, uh, while she was around in my adult life to be able to have a good relationship. So I just wanted to uh, share that with people. And um, the last thing I wanna talk about is I have a friend who is older and his car was not working and he asked me for a ride to Costco. So, and this was um, back in uh, the winter. So he came up to the car the first time and he wasn't wearing his mask properly. And I said, if you wanna ride to Costco while you're with me, you're gonna have to wear this mask properly. So, so he put the mask on properly. We drive to Costco. So we made a number of trips. This was over a few months. And the last time we were at Costco, I looked down the aisle because we would separate, get our stuff and then go check out. I looked down the aisle and who's got his mask slouched around his chin. I was very upset. I was very, very upset. Here I've been trying to help and I felt totally disrespected. I felt like it was so ungrateful to do that. So, and so I don't know. And I have struggled with this because this is a person that I like, but I have been so upset with them that I haven't been able to talk to them. And so it's just like this conundrum that I have been carrying around with me. So, I mean, where uh, it's like the respect evaporated. Right. Totally. <laughs> so, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, I'm sorry, keep going. So yeah, that's, that's my story. Yeah, thank you. There's so much there, so much there. And just to pick up, and thank you for sharing all that. And just to pick up on the point of like, when your mother had her own transition and how that shifted things a little for you. It reminds me of the Pirkei Avot 4.1 from Ben Zoma where among other teachings, he said, who is honored, one who honors others. And that can be interpreted in so many ways, but one of the ways is like, we need to feel respected by someone. We need to see their, their own work is being done for us to kind of be in that space. And so too with your friend that you were helping, like, like we need a basic level of respect for us to offer that respect back. And when it's not there, it's very hard. It's very hard to be in that space. And some people think, well, I'm older, I should get the respect, but like, it should be based on trust and based on, you know, based on virtue and the like. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing all that. And um, 
And then to go to your first point around like society today, like it's just so hard to think about. Let's bracket the folks who aren't who aren't aren't honoring others, but those who really are so vulnerable and frail and can't get their basic healthcare needs met and can't get their basic food met, and they're on a on a fixed income and inflation is rising, and they're really just incredibly stuck. Um, and it's really, uh, it's very, it's very scary to be in such a situation for any person. But then, if you're, if you're, if you're an elder, all the more so. So thank you for sharing all that, Yehuda. I, I have one more thing. Yes, please, yeah. This pandemic has been so darn isolating yeah. for for uh, people, and and if you do have elderly people in your life, reach out to them, even if they're a little crabby and difficult to get along with. They need to hear from people. They need people in their life and social life for a lot of people has been so decimated by, by all of this isolation during this pandemic. Thank so you. that's Thank my commercial. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Eddie. Yeah, to me, this is why I also think like getting a COVID shot, in my opinion, was like honoring the elderly. Uh, the the folks who like seriously had no no way of stopping it, to me it was taking a step back and, and acknowledging that maybe like uh, COVID could not really harm me, but it would be very impactful for our elderly community. So I think sometimes thinking humbly and that it's not about you, but thinking tenderly in an honorly way, of the folks that are directly impacted the most. Love that. Yeah, love that. Um, that if, if one exists in only a self situation, they can do, they can engage in their own calculation in terms of um, what's the risk to me if I get COVID? How does it weigh up against the risk of a vaccine? It's just about, um, I'm in my world. But imagine if we lived in a world where people actually made their choices based upon the collective um, on so many levels. And that is not hard to do. But if I could think of any top five priorities of education, it is helping to expand our spheres of empathy um, where we our decisions we think beyond ourselves. So thank you. And that means what Eddie's also pushing us towards in the systemic realm is away from just kind of um, small public niceties as honor, but honor as for also those we don't see and those we don't encounter. Okay, friends. So um, next week, we have our, our 12th and um, our final session of the interpersonal, which is Nihum Avelim, Comforting Mourners. We may have felt like we've done that before, but what we actually did was Kavura Tameitim, Burying the Dead, which is very different than Comforting Mourners. And so that will be our, our topic for, uh, for next Tuesday. Thank you all hey, for joining us. Really, and, can I just... Um... Yes. Tease you a little bit. Okay, so because Fourth of July is coming up and we are a little few minutes early, can I just tease you? Yes, please. Yeah, okay, please. you know the musical 1776? Do you know this one? Okay, so that little bit about unalienable versus inalienable when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Okay, so John Adams says, I'm a graduate of Harvard and <laughs> Thomas Jefferson says, well, I attended William and Mary. So <laughs> I just had to do that <laughs> just to give you a little bit of a hard time. <laughs> Even though I don't like either of them, they're both jerks. But anyway. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so friends, I hope we can continue to um, uh, allow others to honor us and allow um, um, ourselves to honor others and consider how we might do that uniquely.
with folks who um, are of an older age than us. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks so much.